You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, everybody. Uh, we're back. <laughs> Sorry, I know we just... It's, it's us again. We just signed off, uh, <laughs> but we had one of those moments where we turned the mics off, and as we were getting up to go to the bathroom, we're like, oh, we missed some pretty important things. Um, and so instead of like trying to awkwardly splice it in somewhere where... Because we just talk all the time, so trying to find a pause was not possible. Uh, and instead of making a whole new episode three, which would just be aggressive, we thought we'd just quick jump in. And add this on to the end, um, just some key Little categories. Addendum. So, Ryan, what, get us there. What, what were you thinking? Yeah, I, th- I think that there it would be helpful to address for those who hold credo-baptist convictions and believe repentance and faith, it, it's right for repentance and faith to come first and then for somebody to be baptized. I think there is uh, a, maybe a necessary word of caution and encouragement there as well. Um, because we want to see that somebody is repenting of their sins, they're trusting in Jesus Christ before they're baptized. Baptists often talk about a, a credible profession of faith, which raises the question, it can be a challenge, of how do you know if somebody really is trusting in Jesus? And oftentimes in Baptist circles, um, it, it's a widespread problem of people even often questioning their own salvation, right. their own sincerity. Am I really believing? And, and so I think the word of caution would be against being overly suspicious and skeptical toward every profession of faith. Hmm. Just always doubting, does this person really mean it? So that everybody's scrutinized under a microscope of like, are they, but are they really saved and do they really mean it? Right. Because pedo-baptism, one of the benefits is that it, it's, it does have a very objective way of knowing. Are you yes. born to... Are you born into it or not? Mm-hmm. So there's a very like yes or no. We move on. There's there it 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 doesn't have the subjectivity of that that a profession of a credible profession of faith, which credible is just a suspicious or uh, a subjective word. So mm-hmm. that going to taking a credo Baptist position that we do, mm-hmm. we we're trying to walk this tightrope between the subjective nature of your us understanding your subjective confession of faith and objectively the objective sign of the covenant and what and who it belongs to. It objectively belongs to those who are united to Christ by faith. Yes. So now we have this process of like, okay, well, who is that? It's mm-hmm. those who profess him. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's a tightrope here that we're trying to find. Right. And so it ties into this conversation about if you were baptized as an infant and now you've come to believe the Bible teaches believer's baptism and you decide to be baptized as a believer we have a category for that. We'd be happy to do that because we recognize a, a clear difference between that infant baptism and now being baptized as a believer. But you'd like in, to be you'd like to be baptized properly. Yes, yes. It it probably raises the question for those who maybe come from credo Baptist backgrounds and might say, "Okay, so I was baptized when I was twelve, but then when I was in my early twenties, I read a book, discovered." more theological categories, learned new things I didn't know before. I don't know if I really 
understood it. I don't know if I really meant it when I was 12. I don't know if I was really saved when I was 12, so I should be baptized again. Then what happens when you get into your 30s and you go, man, what, whatever that was, my early 20s in college, yeah, I don't even know if I was really saved then because now I've learned so much more that it's, it's like I've been born again, again for the first time. And I, I don't know if that was sincere. So what can happen in Baptist circles is you have people who are baptized two, three, four, five times, because every time there's some aha moment, <laughs> they look back and question their own salvation. And so mm-hmm. the, the caution here is against that overly suspicious, skeptical tendency that's always doubting profession of faith, the sincerity of that, and leads to, uh, I think, an overly introspective and subjective yeah. sense of uh, assurance or lack of assurance. It's always just questioning, but but do I really believe it enough? And am I doing faith rightly? And, and then, you know, you come to a time you think, okay, now I'm believing, so I should be, be baptized now because that baptism must have been improper. So I, I think we would want to guard against that to say baptism is the initial step of the obedience of faith. Mm-hmm. It's the very beginning. And so we would expect that a new believer being baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit uh, is going to be immature yes. in their understanding, immature in their theological convictions, immature in their understanding of the gospel even. Um, they should be. They should know they're a sinner. They should know Christ died for their sins. They are confessing, forsaking, repenting of their sins, trusting in Christ. But we would also expect that even a few months later, their understanding is going to be deeper. And so it's not a matter of maturity. Like, have have you matured enough to now be worthy of this and deserving of, of baptism? So that that's a danger. And I think just in, in community, in relationship to one another, that can come out too. You know, if the main emphasis is always on looking in and just doubting, I don't know if I'm believing right or believing enough. Mm. Um, that introspective, it, it's right to examine ourselves. It's right to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, but it's right to deal with that objectively. And so the, the analogy that we've talked about is the comparison to marriage. That, that's really helpful because it's marriage is covenantal. So husband and wife make vows, enter into a covenant with one another. Let's say you attend a wedding, you witness the vows, and a couple years later, you hear that the, the husband is having an affair and he's run off with some other woman. You would go after him and appeal to him. You would appeal to his marriage vows. You, would, you could say something like, I was there. I heard you promise to be exclusively faithful to this woman until death. You made those vows, and I'm here to call you back to that. Mm. Come back because you are married and you are violating your marriage vows. Mm. In the same way, I think we could deal with um, somebody who makes profession of faith in Jesus Christ. They've been baptized. Now they're not living like a Christian. A lot of times in Baptist circles, you, you jump right to probably not even a Christian, probably wasn't a genuine conversion. And if they were to turn back, we should probably baptize them again. Right. So what do you do with that? So so the way I would want to handle that is objectively, hey, you, you professed faith in Jesus Christ. You were baptized in the name of Christ, and you are living in a way that's inconsistent with that. You need to repent, and right. you need to turn back and come back to Christ, and he will wash away your sins. He will pardon you. He will maintain your justified status. Um, And of course, we have a category for, it's possible that somebody made a profession, they were baptized, 
and they really aren't converted. There are, you know, false converts. And um, again, Old Testament category of circumcision. There are people who are circumcised, but they don't share the faith of Abraham. So we're not saying baptism saves you and, and that's it. If somebody remains unrepentant, they continue to deny Christ. Well, then we're into the realm of church discipline. What do you right. do with somebody who is not responsive to that call to repent? But we can make that appeal in good faith saying, I'm I'm saying I believe your profession. Mm-hmm. I, I believe your baptism into mm-hmm. Christ. And that's why I'm calling you to come back and be faithful to Christ like you professed. Right. So that, that should really serve us well to be a, a means of comfort, a means of assurance, to uh, to our people and mm-hmm. to, to us to each other um, to ourselves that and this is why like understanding discipleship is a process mm-hmm. it is a growing that and baptism is not the result of that discipleship as if you know you've graduated from full understanding of the gospel and now I get this as a diploma but rather right. like a, it's to be reborn it's to yeah. be made new and you're an infant and you don't know anything except <laughs> like the first day of preschool not the last day of exactly. college, grad it, school. <laughs> the, the few things you know is that you have parents and they love you. Yeah. And that's great. Yep. That's all you need to know. And then as you grow, you learn more. And I think this helps, helps us also as we think of our, our children um, and how we treat them. Yes, we understand they're born into sin. Yes, we understand that is what is needed for them is repentance and faith. They need they need to trust Christ. Yes, but it also changes our like this is unique for us. Like, big B Baptistic churches and traditions that are so skeptical of any confession of faith would there is a, a de facto age of accountability somewhere in high school where you're just before then you're not trustworthy enough to to take any profession of faith. Seriously, mm-hmm. um, it's it, there. You have to get to a, re, a certain maturity before you can make such a decision, um, which just fosters like the all the fifteen years before that, the growing up, being treated as an unbeliever, being treated as well. This is for only for those who believe, and we're going to withhold you. Yeah, we'll take you to church. Yeah, you're a part of this family. Um, that that can be the source of such skepticism of people's profession of faith and baptism moving forward. Right. So, like for us, how do we view our children matters? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we understand. As I said, they're unbelievers, born into sin. Mm-hmm. They need to repent and believe, and God needs to act and replace their heart of stone with a heart of flesh. But recognizing that the ordinary means of that is by His sovereign grace of putting them in my home, mm-hmm. where I am commanded to raise Him in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to inculcate the the gospel in my children's life. Mm-hmm. To, for instance, I use this example a lot. How do our children learn how to speak? You know, they, we t- we talk to them. Mm-hmm. We speak to them well before, before they, they have any clue what's happening. They were their newborns, and you're talking to them. They don't know English, but you talk to them in English, and somehow that's how they learn English. That's how they learn English. It's it's a magic trick, and yeah. yet, so how are they to know the gospel until we, unless we talk preach to them it to in them, the gospel, talk to them in gospel, raise them in the gospel, bring them and uh, nurture them into a community and a church that fosters that gospel, mm-hmm. and then sell, and then in due time celebrate. Yeah. God willing, his activity in their life and baptizing them. And then, like with everybody else, trusting and holding them to those vows as they grow older, as they learn more, as their discipleship deepens. Right. It, it might seem um, subtle or insignificant, but I, I think it, it makes a big difference in our disposition toward our kids. Yes. Um, if, if you're always kind of giving a, a patronizing pat on the head, 
you know, they're there, that's cute. But of course you would say that cause you're just a kid and you don't understand. So you think you believe, but you don't, um, until oh. you can spell penal substitutionary atonement. <laughs> yeah. You don't mean it. <laughs> you don't mean it. And, and it, you, you can inadvertently then kind of, um, accustom children to just constantly questioning or doubting their own sincerity, assuming mm-hmm. they don't mean it. If you assume, if you always assume they don't mean it or they don't get it, they're not sincere. You can cause them to grow up with that assumption as well. And and then you have, and this is a very real problem we deal with pastorally, just people constantly doubting their own sincerity mm-hmm. and, and not just resting in the objectivity of God says he loves me. How do I know he loves me? Because he says he does. Right. The Bible tells me so. Right. Um, and, and we want our kids to grow up with that assumption too. And so sometimes you have, this is more of a tendency in, in Baptistic circles, um, speaking to children, you know, this hesitancy to tell them God loves them or that their sins are forgiven because you got to hold out and say, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they really believe yet. Um, they might not. Um, rather than holding out the good news of the gospel to them to say, Jesus died for you, trust in him. And as a child, they say they, they trust, assuring them, then your sins are forgiven and God loves you without any, without having to add in this weighty doubt of like, but we'll see. Yeah. And some of this also informs just a little bit behind the curtain, why we don't have uh, quote unquote children's church on a Sunday morning. Our, you know, our Emmaus Road Kids is dedicated towards child care at a certain age, but we, we do believe that the same word that is is food for our souls for us you know believers is the same food that's sufficient to save our children they don't need a watered down gospel they need the true gospel yeah. and do we believe that the word is sufficient that's why we welcome children into our gathering we want our children with us we even recognizing one they can't understand it well they might not understand it mm-hmm. and that uh and that they're born into sin and they are unbelieving until God does something. But we just recognize that the way God works is through the word, through word and sacrament, through word and deed. And so we're going to, I'm going to position my children in the gathering to hear that same word. Where God um, meets with his people. Exactly. So just, this is all, just so you know, <laughs> this is all mixed in. So, mm-hmm. Well, Ryan, before we create a whole nother episode, let's end there. (laughs) Hopefully this is our last postscript, but thanks for, (laughs) thanks for bearing with us. Again, if you have questions, please let us know. And it's a, it's a joy to serve Emmaus Road Church and hopefully this helps. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.